Welcome to the Fearless Warrior Podcast, a place for athletes, coaches, and parents who know the value of a strong mindset. I'm your host, Coach AB, a mental performance coach on a mission, former softball coach, wife, and mom of three. Each episode, we will dive deep into all things mental performance, mindset tools, and how to rewire the brain for success. So if your goal is to gain the mental edge and learn the secrets of mental performance, you're in the right place. Let's tune in to today's episode. So today is a special treat because I have brought on a dear friend and fellow coach who many of you will immediately recognize, Angie Brown. She's been an amazing part of Team Fearless for the past year, over a past, the past year, in many capacities. And the main one being the Fearless Warrior Retreat. And among other things, she's taken on coaching calls, working behind the scenes to make sure everything is running smoothly, which I am so thankful for. And we have weekly conversations as fellow coaches. And she owns and runs Real Life Runners, a platform and coaching program that helps recreational runners break through their physical and mental obstacles to improve their health and their performance. But that's not the reason I'm bringing her on the pod today. The real reason is that Angie has a superpower. And the way that she coaches is incredible to witness. Her ability to shift perspectives, mine included, and do deep thought work is truly her gift. So today, I thought it would be an incredible opportunity to hit record, and she's waiting on Zoom right now, as we interview each other on how we coach our clients and just have an amazing conversation. Angie, welcome to the Fearless Warrior podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be there. I I feel like I have a lot to live up to after that intro. My goodness. And this is going to be fun, too, because we're going to kind of be back and forth with this conversation, kind of not really interviewing each other, but just having a a really good conversation. So it's less of you just like interviewing a guest and more of us having a back and forth conversation, which I think is going to be really fun. We should really think about hitting record on more of our conversations. (laughs) I I think that's that's something we need to start doing. Yeah, that would be that would be definitely an interesting thing to look into. Honestly, like our weekly conversations that we have have so much in them that is so beneficial for both of us. And I think that you and I, over the past couple of years that, you know, we've known each other and we've been doing this together, have really helped to elevate each other and to help to make each other better coaches along the way. So for everything that you just said nice about me, I can throw it right back at you too, because you've definitely helped to elevate me and my coaching ability as well. Oh, well, this is kind of going off script of what you and I wanted to talk about, and we'll absolutely get to that. But we should probably provide a little bit of context. Can we talk about how we met? Yeah, how are friends? Yeah. I mean, so we both signed up for a similar coaching program. And I remember posting, I was working full time, I was coaching, I was giving lessons, and I had this dream to make Fearless Fast Pitch go full time. And you had commented, cheering me on, saying, you got this. You can do this full time. Um, I vividly remember, I think I had celebrated by buying a new pair of shoes, which is so funny because we put that on our vision boards, like buying a new pair of shoes, abundance mindset, all of these coaching, so many coaching tools and so many coaching conversations. But we just connected over our mutual excitement of chasing really exciting goals. Yeah, I think, I mean, that was a big part of it. And it's also just, you know, We connected in the Facebook group of this business, this coaching program that the two of us signed up for. And I could just I just loved your energy. That was like what drew me to you. And I think that's a big part of of who I am and how I connect with people is like I feel energy. And I'm sure we'll get into that in in today's conversation as well. But it's just I you just had such a genuine energy about you. And I was just like, I just need to be friends with this girl. And so long story short, I, f- I don't remember who, which one of us like originally said like, hey, do you want to jump on a call? Yeah, let's hop on a Zoom. Yeah. Like we just hopped on a Zoom one day because it was like, you've got big goals and I've got big b- goals and we're trying to build these businesses in order to impact more people and to help more people. And I think that was a big part of it too, was just the authenticity of like, I could feel that about you is that you like, yes, of course you want to build a business. We want to make money, but we also want to help as many people in the process of that as possible. Like that, that wasn't ever the goal. The goal was just to make an impact and to help as many people with all the tools and knowledge and experience that we have had. 
And so we hopped on a Zoom and we've been doing it every week for the last few years since then. I feel like it's almost been three years, two and a half. 2020 or 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, because we joined that program in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, and I, yeah, no, because we we connected in 2020 because that's when I right. stopped working full time. Right. Um, I Because I'm, I'm a physical therapist by trade and so by career, by profession. Um, and so when the pandemic hit in 2020, that's when I decided to go all in on the coaching business. And you were shortly thereafter, a couple yeah. months after. So good. And then you decided yeah. to fly across the country and come to the retreat yeah. in Nebraska, which Angie Hills from Florida. Yeah. Honey, Absolutely. Beautiful Florida is it's super cold here in Nebraska. So let's let's kind of dive into it. So one of the things that we had earmarked is, um, which, by the way, I know I keep going off script, but it's OK that the podcast exists is because Angie really pushed me and encouraged me to do it. So she's been doing a podcast. Um, and so we kind of joked of like, hey, what's our first podcast going to be? And one of the things that you and I have kind of talked about is beliefs, right? Thought models and beliefs and coaching each other, coaching yeah. our clients. Um, and so that's kind of the conversation that we want to have today. For those of you that are listening, Fearless Fam, we're going to talk about, you know, what is a belief versus a thought? How do we challenge thoughts? How do we shift beliefs? Um, how do we do that as coaches? How you can do that as a parent, as a coach, or even self-coach yourself as maybe an athlete, a runner, um, and parents, we need to shift beliefs too. Yep. And so that's kind of the conversation today. So let's kind of define this, right? If you haven't discovered this world, we kind of work in two ways with our clients. Um, and so a lot of you that are listening know about mental skills. We talk about visualization and self-talk, and breathing techniques, and grounding techniques, and failure recovery. But no amount of those skills can overcome our limiting beliefs or our subconscious thoughts that can derail all of those. And so let's kind of talk about like what, you know, how do you kind of work in that capacity with your clients? And, you know, what percent is spent on the skills and what percent is spent on thought work? Yeah, that's 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 going to be it's definitely something that's going to be interesting to talk about here. And the one thing I want to just mention before we jump into this, too, for all the parents that are listening to this, is that I am also a parent of teenage girls, one of which is, well, my preteen is a softball player. I have a 14 year old and an 11 year old. So I do this as a coach for runners over 40. That's my my main um, client base are are runners over 40s. We've got some younger ones, too. But I'm also a softball coach for my daughter because I played softball growing up as well. So it's like also taking all of these pieces in and figuring out how we can, why thought work and thoughts and beliefs and all of that is so important for us as parents as well. And how we can start to use these things effectively as parents um, is going to be important in this conversation also. Absolutely. Not I the love same. That. It is not the same as a coach. It yeah. is not. So, um, okay. So talking about the difference between thoughts and beliefs, is that what we want to jump into first? Yeah. Okay. So the thoughts are basically these sentences that just kind of show up in our brain and we don't have control necessarily of when they first pop in. I think that this is one of the things that people get wrong a lot when they start thinking about thought work and they start to hear about thought work and they start to hear about life coaching and self-coaching and all of these things. And they're like, oh, I just have to control my thoughts. And if I just think positively all the time, then everything will be fine. But that's not how thoughts work. These thoughts are just these sentences that pop into our brain. And we all have had this experience where some random thought, some sentence will pop into our brain and we're like, where in the world did that just come from? Right. And so that thought that pops in, collection of words, a sentence, It's just our brain giving us some sort of information. And that information may or may not be true, right? So I think that that's an important thing. When we look at beliefs, beliefs are just collections of thoughts that we've stopped questioning, right? It's thoughts that we've repeated in our mind over and over and over again so that we now believe those things to be true. And we stop questioning them. 
thoughts we can question all the time, right? We we are like, where did that thought come from? That seems kind of random. Well, think of an intrusive thought, right? Like the one that you and I talk about is what would happen if I just jerked the wheel? Like what would happen if my car just veered off the road? And And literally we don't even think twice about no way I'm combating that thought. I'm not allowing that thought to enter my brain again. It, right. It's crazy. It so is we, crazy. Like, or when you're driving over a bridge or something like yeah. that, you're like, what would happen if the car just like ran off the road right now? Right. Like, not a helpful thought, right? But also we understand, I think that sometimes when we have those intrusive thoughts, we think there might be something wrong with us. And I think it's really important for us to let people know that there's nothing wrong with you. You can control how much attention you give to a thought, but you can't control whether or not that thought pops up in your mind. But by doing thought work and by practicing the, you know, some of the procedures and things that we're going to talk about today, you can start to shift the frequency of the thoughts that pop into your mind and you can choose what you want to do with those thoughts. And that's where the control comes. That's where the power comes. People often think that oh no, if I'm still having these thoughts, that means something's wrong with me, right? A lot of people have anxiety. They have this feeling of anxiety and and anxiety is a feeling that comes from thoughts. Our thoughts create our feelings. And so when they have these thoughts, what they do is they have this, this thought that makes them feel anxious, but then they're like, oh no, I shouldn't be thinking, right? And so then they place judgment on top of that thought which then makes them feel even worse, which I'm kind of getting off topic a little bit here too, right? But, you know, kind of going back to thoughts and beliefs, it's it's this idea of thoughts come in and we can, what our brain does, okay? So let's kind of go back a little bit. When a thought comes in, what our brain often tries to do is it tries to find evidence because our brain likes to be right. Our brain does not like being wrong. And so when a thought pops in, we like to find evidence that that thought is true or untrue. And it'll take that thought and it'll compare it against all the other thoughts and beliefs that we've formed in our brain, right? So those of you that are in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, you have a lot of years of thoughts. And when that thought comes in, it's either going to support the beliefs that you currently have and the paradigm that you've created for yourself, or it's going to go against it. And if it goes against it, oftentimes our brain just tries to dismiss it as untrue. But if it matches one of our beliefs or the paradigm that we've taken on for ourselves, then we take that thought on, which then reinforces that belief. And what we don't understand and what most of us don't realize until you start to actually get into this work is that a lot of our beliefs were formed when we were very young. And so when you're young, you don't understand any of this stuff, right? So a lot of our beliefs were formed by our parents, our teachers, our coaches when we were younger that gave us the things that we were supposed to think about ourselves that we just took on as true. And then our adult lives, we've just been finding evidence to prove those things true over and over and over again. And that's where thought work becomes really powerful as we can start to find these thoughts and find these beliefs and these patterns and start to break them down. And to kind of relate this to our daughters, it, you know, we can help to start to identify some of these thoughts and beliefs and patterns earlier so there's less <laughs> to break down when they're when they're our age. Well, let's talk about an example. So I love the example of I'm not a runner, which I giggle because you've challenged me on that. Think mm-hmm. of, well, we'll use Coach AB as an example. I, I can make fun of myself. We can talk about Coach AB's thought of I'm not a runner. And as a child, I was the slower runner, the slower girl on the team. My sister will laugh when she listens to this podcast. We were the slowest Rockets, our, our summer team. And then going to college, you know, softball players don't run. We don't run long distance. Mm -hmm. Most you run is 60 feet. And then post-graduation, I'm struggling to find, you know, how do I want to work out? Do I want to run? You know, there were times that I would run and I would just tell myself over and over, I'm not a runner. I'm a bigger woman. Running's bad for your knees. All of these things that we were fed as athletes specific to softball. And then here comes Angie and the question of, well, what if you are a runner? What if you could be a runner? So talk about this. I know you use this a lot with your clients of like the belief is I'm not a runner. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you say that because that was my belief also. That was that that's my story. I didn't think I was a runner. You know, growing up, I, I played volleyball, basketball and softball. And again, I was like one of the slower ones. Like and I always hated the conditioning parts of practice. I'm like, can we just play? Right. Like, I don't need to run. Like, there's not a lot of running in softball. There's not a lot of running in volleyball, in basketball. And I always and running was always used as punishment in those sports as well. Right. So I had a very negative connotation. Then I met my husband in college. And then obviously I got into, I shouldn't say obviously, but I got into running a little bit more in college just to lose weight. So it was just a means to an end. It was just like I had to run to try to stay in shape or to, you know, lose the 20 pounds that I gained my freshman year. And then I met my husband and he was a runner and he actually ran for the university that we went to. So he was a quote unquote real runner, right? And then I was like, well, I'm definitely not a runner because I am not him. And fast forward, you know, we've been together now. That was 2002. If I'm really aging myself here, right? But 20 years later, I'm for sure a runner. And if you told me this 20 years ago, that, that I would be not only a runner, but a a running coach, right? Helping other runners, I would be like, there's no way, right? (laughs) And that to me is proof that it is just a belief. It is just this collection of thoughts that we had, like all, and I could, I can give you so many thoughts that led to my belief of I'm not a runner or I'm not a real runner. Because number one, I didn't even want to be a runner because runners were crazy. I wasn't crazy. Runners, you know, like, I just there's running was punishment, right? That was how I perceived running. And and go back to your example. Yeah. You was trying to prove or disprove mm-hmm. to match the belief right. that you weren't a runner. Mm-hmm. Especially since I was like one of the slower ones, right? So when we would go out and run a mile or two miles, I was usually at the back of the pack, like huffing and puffing and telling myself, like, this is baloney, right? And so it was my brain trying to protect my ego saying like, well, clearly you're not a runner. Like you just have to run in practice. This is just something that you have to do. This is something that you're doing because you're being punished, right? And there were all these stories that my brain made up to help try to protect my ego. And it wasn't until the what if question, kind of going back to what you just asked, is opening up curiosity to that is one of the most powerful coaching tools that I use both with myself, with my clients, with my friends, with my kids, right? And it's so when I first started to kind of think about this and really th- start to think of myself as a runner, it was after I start after I had kids and I decided I was going to run a half marathon. And I remember distinctly ke- watching Kevin run his first half marathon. He came in in second place, which is of course, you know, that's Kevin, like second place in his first half marathon. But as I was standing there holding our three-month-old baby, I was watching all of these people of all different ages and shapes and sizes and genders and cultures, and they were all running the same distance. They were all running 3.1 miles. And I just had this thought of, I wonder if I could do that. And then I'm watching. I'm like, of course I can do this, right? Look at all these people that are doing this. This this is evidence. This is proof. Evidence, yeah. This is possible. I just never thought it was possible for me. And then I decided, just decided, what if it was, right? What if this was possible? And I was like, I decided right then that I was going to run a half marathon. And I ran my first one two years later. And it was just that thought of, what if I could do this? That was what popped in. And I think that curiosity and that of, what if? What if this was true? Or what if this wasn't true? It doesn't have to be immediately, this is true, this isn't true. It could just be, what if it isn't? What if? Right? And I think that that, when you tap into curiosity, that's such a powerful way to start breaking down some of these thoughts and beliefs that aren't really serving us. Well, and I think we could kind of look at this too of like, okay, we're using lots of different examples and we're going to use more examples on this interview today back and forth. But one of the things that keeps coming up with clients specifically younger athletes is parents are saying well she's shy or she's quiet and I have one client in particular that this just completely shifted how she shows up of you know we have to be careful of what we're indoctrinating to our children on 
do you want to hold that belief to be true? Because we're helping them form those beliefs. So if we say things like, you know, I'm an introvert, so my kids are going to be introverts and she's just shy. Well, if you think about someone who's showing up to a lesson, I'm going to use this as an example. When this athlete showed up to a lesson, if she's just shy and she has those thoughts and those beliefs, well, what are the actions that align with those thoughts and beliefs? Mm -hmm. She's going to be timid. She's not going to be the first in line for the drill. She's not going to want to speak up. She's not going to lead. And the question that we keep posing is, I love what you said about curiosity. So, so parents, as you're listening to this, the what if questions, the curiosity, do you want this belief to be true? And what if it wasn't? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what if it wasn't? Yeah. What and that made possible for her. Well, and I think that you're really reaching into a a super deep level here too with the concept of identity of the fact and I shouldn't say the fact but the common thing that parents do is they assign identities to their kids without even realizing it like you just said well she's the shy kid we it's it's when we notice patterns and and it's hard not to do this it's so funny because like um like I said my kids are 11 and 14 now and and they've been they, they're like, yep, mom's a life coach. I know, mom. Like, it's just a thought. It's just a belief, right? So now they like to kind of throw it back to me as uh, kind of making fun of me, which is fine because I know that I'm planting seeds and I know that this is going to help them because I like when I hear them sometimes talk about stories with their friends or if they don't know that I'm listening, I'll pick up on how those things are already starting to sink in with them, you know, which is pretty cool. So, um, you know, going back to to the one child, like I'll often like she'll say like, well, I'm just an introvert. And I was like, well, do you want to be? And she's like, mom, I just am. And I was like, "Okay, like if you want to be right. But like when we're what I was going to say before was we oftentimes when our kids are growing up, especially when they're younger, if they are, if they do start to I shouldn't say if they are, but if they exhibit shy tendencies. Right. We just almost try to explain their behavior to other people and make excuses for them, right? So say we take our kid out to the pumpkin patch and somebody says something to them. Maybe they're wearing a costume and somebody says something to them and our kid kind of shies away and doesn't want to respond. We say, oh, I'm sorry, she's shy. Or I'm sorry, my he's shy. And all of a sudden we're putting this identity and this characteristic on them. And if the kid hears that over and over and over again, you're their parent. You are the authority in their life that the parent, especially when they're young, you can do no wrong. There is nothing more important to them than your love and your acceptance and your approval because it's literally life or death. Like the child's brain is wired for acceptance because you are the one giving them food and shelter and love and all of the things. They want to do whatever you tell them to. I mean, <laughs> maybe not pick up their blocks, you know, but other, but you know what I mean? So it's like, they want nothing more than to be who you say they are. And so if you're telling them they're shy, if you're telling them that they're an introvert and it, it, it's not like you, you're going to them and you're saying you're shy, right? They hear you say it to other people. Oh, she's the shy kid or she's a smart one. She's not very athletic. She's, she tends to struggle. Right. Or athletic or we don't come from an athletic family or we are an athletic family like any, right you know, beyond shy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they just think they take on these identities and they take on these characteristics because they think that that's what we their parents expect of them. Right. And it's funny because when they're younger, oftentimes they'll do everything they can to align with it. And then when they become teenagers and they start to realize that they have a choice in the matter there'll be some disconnect that happens and there'll be pushback that happens and there'll be, I want to go in the opposite direction, right? Or I want to figure out who I am. Who do I want to be? Uh Uh-huh. And that is so challenging as a parent. That is so challenging as a parent. And it's something that I'm going through now because we come like, and I'll give my, my identity, right? We are a very healthy family. We are a very active family. My husband and I are both runners. We coach runners. We, we coach the high school cross country team, you know, like this is what we do. And this is how my kids have grown up. They've grown up on the sidelines, you know, uh, watching us coach 
kids and runners their whole lives. And now all of a sudden, my kid is when she's turning 13, 14 years old, it's like, well, I don't want to be a runner. I don't want to do this. And it's because she thinks that's what's expected of her. So she wants to find a different path. And at first, my brain was like, alert, alert, what is happening? It was like the red flashing lights, like, oh, no, I did it all right. I conditioned her correctly, right? Like, I exposed her to healthy foods and exercise and activity because they say that they, you know, you're supposed to be an example for your kids and what's happening, right? My brain was freaking out and it's like, okay, just take a step back. She's allowed to be curious too. She's allowed to try to figure out who she is. And I, again, I've planted those seeds. So right now, maybe this is a phase. Maybe it's not. Who knows? We'll see. I hope I've planted seeds for healthy lifestyle and living and you know, she tells us she's going to be a runner next year when she enters high school. So we'll see what happens there. But well, I think that's kind of a good segue into our actions. Like, do your actions all yeah. align with your beliefs? And how do you get curious? Um, I know I wanted to use a lots of examples today, but I think I have an Instagram reel for this. Thinking about the actions that you used as, you know, we eat healthy, we're immersed in it. It's not just something that we decide to do. We just do it because it aligns with our identity. One of the things that I've kind of used as an example is I'm a plant killer. And and we kind of have we have 12 ways to shift a belief that we want to make sure that we get to today. And, and maybe we can use this example. Angie and I could do like a mock coaching. If I came to you and I said, well, Angie, I, stop buying me house plants. I wish that people would stop buying me plants or bringing me plants because I just end up killing them. I'm a plant killer. Mm-hmm. And so if we get curious to that we could shift that belief. And I think a lot of the times if we say jokingly or we say it seriously of like, eh, I can't keep a plant alive to save my life. We have different ways of, um, I know we have 12 ways that we can talk about, but Angie and I highlighted some. I kind of like walk me through, we'll, we'll kind of use this as an example of like literally how we would coach. How would you challenge that belief in me? Well, I think that it's something that, another important thing to before we jump in here, is also asking the person if that's even a belief that they want to keep. That's one of the things that I like to start with. It's like, well, do you want to believe that? Like, and I've asked you that, that when, to me all the time. Every time on our weekly calls, you literally ask me that. Well, do you do you do you want that to continue? Is that how you want it to go? I'm like, Angie. I think, and and this I think is one of the most important things, like in coaching, is asking questions. And like before, like we can definitely like jump into this example. I just think that this is one of the biggest things that for us as coaches and as parents to understand that our job is not to give advice. Our Mm -hmm. job is to ask good questions and help the person that we are coaching, whether that's an athlete or our kids or whoever it might be or our friends. And and don't coach your friends without without us. first asking sometimes i just want to bend okay right (laughs) but um i was like oh i got that one wrong sorry but like all in love all in love it's one of those things of just asking questions asking good questions and allowing them to come up with the answer because it's more powerful that way then they don't feel like you're the one telling them what to do and they're just following your advice they're just doing what you tell them to do because we all know if you have teenagers, they don't want to follow what you tell them to do. A lot of times they want to do the opposite. But if you ask them the question and help them figure out what they want to do, that's a very powerful place to be, both for you and then also for them, because they're the one that's then choosing it. So that's a good point. I would then ask you, well, well, you and I guess a bet. Well, yeah, but another example would be. I'm not a hitter or I'm not a good pitcher, right? Like whatever that identity is of like, yeah, well, typically what we would do if I put on my parent brain is, well, if you're not a good hitter, then that's, I told you so. That's why you should be hitting more in the garage. You're just not, you're not doing your, you're not practicing enough, not practicing enough. And then is that going to make them want to practice? Nope. Because they're going to want to challenge that belief. So, and maybe being a plant killer isn't the right example, but, um, yeah, like one of the ways that that I've challenged that belief is, you know, growing up with my dad, we used to plant this massive, beautiful summer garden every summer. Like we would plant everything. And I loved harvesting tomatoes and radishes and potatoes 
and we would do peppers and beans and just some years we would pick the most random seeds to see if we could get it to grow. And I love that pursuit. And so um, just like looking for proof to to disprove or to prove whatever the thought that is. And, and, and we can use that as an example, but maybe a better example would be. Well, so that is a good example, though, yeah. because what you just demonstrated was the technique called chunking down. Right. Where you say I'm a plant killer and I would then say, well, has there ever been a time where you didn't kill a plant? Right. Like because I, I always joke that I have a purple thumb instead of a green thumb and I, I kill succulents, too. But I've got a succulent over there that's, you know, a couple years old. So that that one succulent over there is proof that, you know, I can keep something alive. Right. right? So it's like, has, has there ever been a time that you have kept plants alive or that you did enjoy gardening? Right. And, you have a much greener thumb than I do. That's for sure. Right. Well, yeah. And again, and maybe this is a bad example. I, I know that our listeners and parents will be able to understand that we're using this example in relation to sport, in relation to yeah, running. So let's just let's just use a sport yeah. analogy. But I think one of the analogies is like, I'm in a slump. I'm not a good hitter. I'm never going to be. I'm never going to be a good hitter. I, you know, either right. your daughter hits lower in the lineup. She's not the four hole hitter. Um, I hear this a lot. I'm never going to hit my first home run. Everyone else hits home run balls. I'm just not a home run hitter. There. Yeah. That's a that's a very common all across the ages is right. I'm not a power hitter. Mm -hmm. Go with that and one. So that's a great one because in that example, you couldn't use chunking down, right? Like you couldn't say, well, has there ever been a time where you hit a home run? They'd be like, no. See, I told you so, right? right. And like one of the things that we have to realize too about teenagers and like you know, any kids that are, I would say, 10, 11 up through their teen years is they everything is way bigger than it actually is. They tend to just exaggerate a lot and all of the emotions and all of the thoughts are exaggerated. So this one instance where they struck out became I can I can't even hit the ball anymore. Right. It's like you only struck out one time. Like, let's think of all the times that you did hit the ball. Let's think of all the times that you did get on base. Which side note. This is a very important side note. It is not a slump unless it's like multiple games, multiple tournaments in a row. Let's just let's just get that out into the open. Ashley Burkhart and I have discussed this multiple times. If she doesn't get a hit in one game, not a slump. If she doesn't get a hit in one day, not a slump. Even if she plays three games that day, not a slump. Now, if she goes two weekends in a row, then maybe it's a slump. But also, if she's making contact and they're hitting. She's hitting the ball. She's just not getting on base. You're hitting the ball. That's also not a slump. Just wanted to, to put that out there. And I love that. And I would take it one step further and, and challenge what's the benefit of even calling it a slump? Right. Right? Like, which, do you is, my, want which is my advice is don't avert the word slump. Don't, don't hide it or don't, don't beat around the bush. Is it really a slump? Like, that's the first thing is that if you're going to talk about it and you're going to call it a slump, is it really a slump? Do we even need to be calling it a slump? I think is your point. Is that your point? Yeah. I mean, yeah. What's the benefit of calling it a slump ever? Right. Like right. even if it's been three games or four games or five games, however, you know, because that defining it is also kind of arbitrary as well. Right. And I think that that's your point is that it's it's kind of arbitrary and everybody kind of defines what they see as a slump differently. But what's the benefit of it? Is it going right. to make you perform better if you say that you're in a slump? Because most of the time when you do that, it, it often is like, oh, well, then I'm in a slump. So that just explains it. There you go. Right? It's proof of from my brain of why I can't hit the ball. So I don't know how I'm going to get out of this slump. Like if it's helpful for you, is that a helpful thought or an unhelpful thought? Like that's another thing that I like to go to when we start to talk about questioning our beliefs and starting to question these thoughts and break down shifting beliefs is trying to find the belief and then find the thoughts that are supporting those beliefs and start to question those thoughts one by one. And, and one of the questions that I like to ask is, is that a helpful thought? Mm -hmm. Or is that an unhelpful thought? Do you want to keep that thought? Or do you want to try to find a different thought that might be more helpful for you? Right. Yeah, so let's, so let's keep going on this identity of I'm not a power hitter. I'm not a power hitter. How else would you shift that belief? 
does it matter if you're a power hitter? Yeah, I want to be a power hitter. Everybody's a power hitter. Why is that important to you? Because I want to play softball. I want to be successful at it. Everybody else. Janie hits a, hits home runs. I want to hit home runs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but is every single person on your team a power hitter? Well, Cora is not. Cora doesn't. And, and is Cora still a good hitter? And is she a valuable part of the team? Yeah. So I'm not saying that you can't be a power hitter. I'm just asking if that's important to you right now or would it be okay for you to know that every single time you got up at bat, you were contributing to the team? Mm-hmm. Would you rather get two hits in a game that were singles or doubles versus one home run per game? Hmm. Which one Which one would be better for you? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know, Coach. I'm going to have to think on that. But that's it. I think it's just making them think about it, right? right? It's 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 getting them to the point where you define it. Like, what even is a power hitter? What does that even mean, right? I want to at number four in the lineup. I want to be the cleanup hitter. Oh, okay. You also don't have control about that. The coach right. is the one that makes the lineup. And I think it's helping to highlight what they do and don't have control over. Do you have control over whether or not you're a power hitter? Okay. If if that's really important to you, if you really want the identity of power hitter, then I would say, well, then what does a power hitter do? And they're like, okay, well, they hit home runs. Okay, well, how do they do that? Right? Let's let's go back to those actions that we were talking about, right? Yeah. Who is this person? Does a power hitter spend more time at batting practice? Does a power hitter lift weights so they can get stronger and they'll have more more muscle strength, right? Does a power hitter go to hitting lessons? What does a power hitter do? Do they eat really good breakfast? Do they make sure to get enough sleep? Like, let's go in and say, okay, if this is the identity that you genuinely want after I question it and not in an insulting way at all, right? Like you don't want to make them feel bad that this is an identity they want, just helping them get down to the core of it. Yeah. Like I really, I want to be a college softball player, right? Like, okay. But the key is, is that you're not telling them you're discovering mm-hmm. it in a conversation with curiosity. And I'm, I'm the one that ultimately has to say, well, yeah, I guess I, I, I'm going to practice. I, I really do want this identity. Well, what's it going to take? I'm going to practice every day in the the shed. I'm going to yep. make sure that I do eat breakfast. Yeah. So I think going back to those those actions, but mm-hmm. even going back even further is is this 100 percent true for everybody? Mm-hmm. Is is kind of to point out your coaching technique there of where is this true or where is this untrue? And just getting curious on is everybody a power hitter? Right. Even in college, think of your favorite players. Yeah. Do you think, you know, well, Oklahoma is kind of a bad example. Yeah. Everyone on Oklahoma is a power hitter. <laughs> uh, bad example. Um, but I could, but like they're clearly like slappers. Right. Or right. like that, that their their job is to get on base or their job is to sacrifice bunt to move the runner. That's their job. Their job is not to hit a home run every time. And they are still an extremely valuable and important part of that team. For sure. Right. What's like a, what's another way that we shift a belief? Because I want to make sure that we hit a few of these of, you know, not everyone has time or, you know, is available for one on one coaching. But if you were to help coach your daughter through this, Angie, what's another way to shift a belief that you like to use? Um, I mean, there's there's a lot. And I, I think that um, really helping them understand the reason behind the belief that they have like if, if, if are we talking about like having if they have a belief that they don't want to have anymore like how i would help them to kind of break out of that yeah so i think that it's like it so we, we already talked about like finding times that that hasn't been true for them specifically finding times where it might not be true for other people right um i think really getting to the root of what it is they want also is like um, another outcome, right? Is trying to understand like, what is it here that's really important to you? Like, do you really care if you're a power hitter or is it more about being accepted on the team Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. make, you know, being acknowledged by your teammates or feeling included or feeling important, feeling like you're contributing to the team here? Is it really the power hitter 
you want to be or is it that you want to be included in your team, right? Like trying to kind of get to the deeper root of the problem. And again, that's all through asking questions. Is there something which, else going on here? Which is another point that we were going to hit on today, <laughs> looking at our notes of the thought model, right? Of like the biggest mistake that I see parents make is as we're kind of talking you guys through this on how to shift your daughter's beliefs. The biggest mistake is we we go right to the action. We go right to their behaviors. Yeah. And behind every behavior is a feeling and behind every feeling is a thought. And if we work that forwards and backwards, cognitive behavioral theory states that your thoughts affect your feelings, which in turn affect your behaviors. And our beliefs are constantly going through that cycle of, I have this belief and I'm going to match my thoughts and my feelings and my behaviors to those beliefs, whether those beliefs are good, bad, or indifferent, um, negative, positive. I don't really want to say negative or positive, but we, we have lots of beliefs that are even non-sport examples. But the, but the idea is all of the work that we do is getting to the root. I like how you said the word root. Well, what's at the root of the behavior? It's thoughts. It's feelings. Right. And, and I think that you're right that we as parents often or even as coaches, too, we try to jump to the actions because the actions are what we can see on the outside. Mm -hmm. So they're the easiest thing for us to look at. And that's the one step. So we actually, well, I shouldn't say we, we see the actions first. We see the results first. We see the outcome, right? So the, the result is that batter is 043 that day, right? So we go one step back, which is the actions. Okay, well, they miss practice. They haven't been putting in the reps. We look at just what they're doing. And oftentimes we forget to kind of go one, two steps or even three steps back to the feelings and the thoughts that are driving their actions because that's what's behind everything. And that ultimately goes back to identity, which is the core of all of it, because all of our thoughts, all of our feelings come from our identity, come from who we think we are. And if we think that we're shy, if we think that we're not a power hitter, if we think that we are a weak player, then our brain, again, remember, it doesn't like to be wrong. So our brain is going to align our thoughts, feelings, and actions to match that identity. So when we can start to work in reverse and say, okay, there's a result here. There's an outcome here that I'm seeing that I don't like. Okay, let's look at the actions. What's what, what are the actions? They're not going to practice. They're not taking the extra reps, whatever it is. Okay, well, what's the feeling behind that? Maybe or they could also be, they could be putting in the reps. They could they be putting could in be. the reps. They could be trusting their training. They but could be. Maybe their thoughts and their feelings are sabotaging their physical work. True. True. Like yeah. If they, have, if they have the wrong like feeling behind the action, that that's kind of what you're talking. Maybe they're yeah, like, I'm terrified to let my dad down. So I'm, I'm doing all these reps. I'm, I'm putting in the work, but it's just not happening. Well, what's that approach? Or even going even further of that, those beliefs of maybe it's not a belief that a parent instilled in you. Maybe it was a mean comment from a coach or you had this happens a lot in our community and it's heartbreaking where all it takes is one coach to put a crack in. Oh, your yeah. Mind. I know it's it's crazy to me. And it's something that I. I'm very aware of as a coach also because the coaches often don't mean anything by it and they're not even aware that they're doing it. And here's the even crazier part to take it one step further. And it, this is one of those things that will drive you mad as a parent and as a coach. But sometimes it's the things that we don't say or that we don't do that will lead to that crack in that athlete's identity because maybe they we just decide not to start them that day. And we don't say anything to them, but they're all of a sudden, they didn't start in this game and then they start spiraling. Well, that must mean that coach is mad at me. And they're that must mean that I'm not a good player, right? And it's like, they make up this whole story around it of what it actually means because our brain loves, it needs to attach meaning to things, right? So it's like, well, I don't understand why I didn't start. I don't understand why this happened. So it must be because of this. And so when we don't say things or we don't give reasons for it, the athlete is just going to make up their own reason. And oftentimes it's completely off base. Sometimes right. it's it's close, right? But it, they often tend to catastrophize it as well and make it mean something horrible, right, that it doesn't mean at all. And it it's 
it's it's tough as a coach to kind of figure out, okay, what when do I say stuff to like, and that's why I always try to say more than than less when it comes to like my athletes. Like we had, we had an issue on our team with a couple of boys that just like were not showing up the way that we needed them to show up. And so we pulled them aside before one of our races and we said, okay, based on the way that you guys showed up this week, based on the effort and the attitude you've put in this week, do you guys think you should be running on varsity or JV? And it was like, uh, I think JV. And the other one's like, yeah, I think probably JV. And it, and then they left and <laughs> Kevin, my husband, who I coach with, he says, I like what you did there. And I was like, I put it on them, right? Yeah. Because they know, they know when they're not showing up. So I could tell them, you guys are running JV because you haven't been putting the effort and the attitude, you know, like I could be like the big mean coach that like demotes them to JV or I could just ask them, like, what do you guys think? Yeah. But if what you, do you think could I should put like do? a beautiful, I love this, Angie, I love this. If you could put a beautiful bow on this episode, the the string throughout this entire episode is questions mm-hmm. and curiosity, right? So like, forget Angie and I's entire conversation. Yeah, if you're tuning out or driving, or you were you're multitasking as you're listening to this podcast, Hello. or you couldn't follow all the tangents we took. Yeah, because it, it's deep, and this is stuff that Angie and I have been working on for years. Is yeah. lean in, ask questions, play curious. Look deeper. Look look to those thoughts, right? Like thoughts and beliefs are at the core of this episode of, of look at those thoughts, look at those beliefs. If you don't have the ability to hire a coach for your daughter, look at those and get curious and have those conversations. And, you know, full disclosure, sometimes it does take an outside party of I as a coach, as a mental performance coach, could say the exact same thing that you've said as a parent, but because mm-hmm. I don't have a dog in the fight, they're going to listen. And and I do. I get curious. And so, um, yeah, that. Oh, my gosh. That and asking to asking open ended questions also. Yeah, I think is a really important one. Like one of the most powerful questions I think that we can ask our athletes, our kids, our friends, our spouses is what's on your mind? Yeah. What's yeah. on your mind? You know, just and see where they go with it, because it's just it can open up. Who knows? Like, sometimes I'll say that. And my 14 year old will be like, nothing, mom. And then sometimes it'll be like, Like, all of these things. Right. That five year old. Same thing. Whoa. Where did that come from? Okay, so, Angie, I know we're running close on time, but we ask this on every episode. And I know you helped me launch my podcast. but We have to ask each other. You ready for the final question? Okay. yes. You are a time traveler. You could go back in time and give your past self one message. What would you tell yourself? So I've been thinking of this ever since you launched your podcast. And (laughs) I'm like, what would my response be? Um, And I think that kind of what always came up for me is don't be afraid to fail. Because growing up, I was so afraid to fail. I was so afraid to disappoint other people. I was so afraid that I was going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and disappoint someone. And now I understand as an adult that failure is a part of life and failure is a necessary part of life. And we grow more from that than from all of our successes. And it's so important to fail. And so just trying to reframe failure, I think, in my life earlier would have been very helpful for me. So good. Yeah. What would you tell yourself if you were a time traveler? You know, I I have not actually put much thought into this. And the thing that keeps coming up for me just very simply is bet on yourself. Mm -hmm. I feel like I always had a chip on my shoulder, whether it was softball. um, I don't know why this this you know, again, like I'm trusting that what's coming up for me is is for a purpose. But I ran a coffee shop in college and I wanted to prove to the university, to the CFO, there was this big, scary, like figurehead, much older than me. And, you know, I wanted to prove that we could make this coffee shop on campus successful. And I did that. And once I did that, it was done. And I did an internship with Northwestern Mutual and I was the youngest in the room and I was one of two females and I wanted to prove to myself that I could do this. I didn't enjoy it. That wasn't the profession that I wanted to be in, but it was what I was doing. 
And going back to my senior year, coming back from injury, I wanted to prove to everybody else that I could do this. And if I could just gently, gently grab AB's hand of of the past, younger AB, I would just grab her and give her a hug and say, hey, like, do this for you. Bet on yourself. Everything's going to work out. You don't have to prove this to anybody. And don't shrink yourself. Like, what if you just bet on yourself? You're still going to accomplish these wildly amazing things, but you're going to enjoy it a lot better if you do it for you. Yeah. Trust yourself more. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to journal on that. The tears are going to start flowing. We got to end this episode. Oh, my gosh. Give me a Kleenex. I've already, you guys can't see this, but I've already cried twice in this episode. So, so good. Um, so good. Amazing. Thank you, Angie. And, and those of you guys that are in the community, Angie's active in our community. And, um, you know, she's, she's hopping on Zoom calls with our fearless warriors. And we've got some really exciting projects coming up in the new year. Um, so stay tuned for that. If you want to follow Angie, this I'll give Angie a, a plug. It's so fun to follow her. If you're a runner or if you're not, um, you can find her on Instagram. They're really active at Real Life Runners. And is that two L's? Yes. Real is one word and life is the second two L's. L's. Yeah, two L's. And you guys know where to find us. Be sure to give us a review. If you liked this episode, we love hearing feedback. Um, it's kind of hard as a podcast. We don't always get to see you guys on Zoom. So if you have a takeaway from this episode, send us a DM. Send us a message on Instagram. Send Angie a message on Instagram. And uh, yeah, we would love to hear your feedback. Yeah. And uh, when you're not listening co- to Coach AB's podcast, you can come check out our podcast called Real Life Runners also. So especially if you're a runner. But we talk about all things physical and mental performance as well. And just life in general. Is why we are friends. Absolutely. Amazing. All right. Stay tuned. We'll we'll see you guys next week. Bye.